Welcome back to Shadow on the Water. I'm so excited to be with you today and to uh, share another podcast. Um, I want to invite you to our website, shadowonthewater.com. No spaces, shadowonthewater.com. We have a wealth of stuff there. We lead pilgrimages. We have um, some free videos on healing and prophecy and uh, that you can watch and uh, on the anatomy of the heart and things like that. We also have um, uh, a, a very special thing called the OMC. It's the online mentoring community. It's kind of the main deliverable that we have. We uh, Every Friday, we gather around the presence of Jesus on Zoom, and we just let the Lord minister to our hearts. So we, we do about three hours of prayer. It's awesome. It's recorded. And you can watch it later. You can be, you can have your camera on or have your camera off, you know. So, um, but we just gather and we basically waste time on Jesus, and it is awesome. And it just give Him time to just minister to our hearts. We have physical healings almost every single week. We have emotional and uh, like healing, emotional healings and like re- renewal of the mind that takes place. Uh, that is, you know, how you get transfigured. St. Paul says it, you'd be transfigured by the renewal of your mind. So it's kind of like a time to just soak in the presence of Jesus and in the culture of the Holy Spirit, the culture of the kingdom. We just gather around and let the Lord minister to our hearts. So it's about three hours. Um, there are lots of people on the Zoom, so only my mic is on. But I just go into the Spirit and release what I'm seeing in the Spirit. And then um, and we just let God minister to us. We praise. Sometimes we pray in tongues. Sometimes we... Um, sing. Sometimes it's just silence. Sometimes it's um, the Lord just having me release what I'm seeing in the Spirit. So, and there are also teaching videos uh, in the OMC. There's a, a whole series on identity, a whole series on hearing the voice of God, and a whole series on uh, prophecy that we're, we've filmed. We just need to release that one. Yeah, we're releasing the identity one at a time. So you kind of, uh, right now we're releasing identity series one video at a time. The Hearing the Voice of God series is all up, but um, it's the kind of thing where you take eight weeks and you let God shift you and transform you over eight weeks. And you you watch one video a week and then you do your your homework for the week. And you're just giving him time and you're being intentional and stewarding it. So um, it will change the way you hear the voice of God. It'll change your concept of who you are, who God is, and how and, and what life is all about, because identity is everything. And it's your connecting point to, to who God created you to be and his purpose for your life and um, uh, how the kingdom is open to you, you know? So these things are just really, really beautiful. They're very powerful. And uh, the, the OMC is a, is a uh, subscription-based thing. So you pay $20 a month and you're s- subscribed. But... Um, you know, I don't, I, it supports the ministry and we need the support. We do a lot of traveling and the people uh, we go and minister to are not always covering our costs. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. So I just invite you guys, like we're going to Cuba in a, to go pray with people. We've done this before and we had to go pay for it based on um, the support of people who, who have been felt called to support us. So I'm, I just want to extend that to you. We really need your support. We really, really do. We're not uh, fully nonprofit. We are fully nonprofit, 501c3, so it's tax deductible. 
Um, but please uh, go to the website. You can donate there. You can uh, the address is there for you to send a check if you rather send a check. But um, I'm just gonna have you uh, pause with me here for a moment. Thank you, Jesus, for this time where we've been able to gather right now. I ask you to minister to the hearts of each person listening to this podcast. Just bless them. This time of grace. Uh, it's Ash Wednesday today, and I felt the Lord just tap me on the shoulder and say, go do a podcast. So here I am. Lord, minister to our hearts while we are gathered together. So whenever whoever listens to this podcast, in this time they're listening, minister to them actively. I ask you to heal them and open them. Let this podcast, this time, be a gateway through which they walk to encounter you as you are deeply and to be transformed by that encounter. Let it be so, Lord. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. So I'm just really happy to be here with you guys. If you hear a few noises in the background, um, it's just my family's home and uh, I have decided to just record and not have to find a time like the middle of the night when nobody's around. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to put a space together where I have privacy where I can do this kind of thing whenever it's needed. But right now I'm just in my bedroom recording a podcast and it's heaven because Jesus is right in front of me. Uh, crucifix is in front of me on the wall. I have first class relic of Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, who was a, um, a wonder working saint in uh, the uh, 19th century, 18th and 19th century. I'm sorry, 19th century. <laughs> I think he was alive from 1819 to 1867. And uh, he's from Germany. He uh, was connected to St. John Newman for a little while when he came to the United States as a missionary. And then he um, was a he was a redemptorist missionary basically, and he ministered in the United States, and uh, it it has a lot of meaning for me. This um, his birthday's January eleventh, um, and then I also have a first class relic of Saint Francis Xavier. So I have Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, who took his name from Saint Francis Xavier, the the uh, confrere of uh, Saint Ignatius who uh, was is the co um, Saint Francis Xavier is the co patron of missionaries and the other one the, uh, his co-patron is Therese of Lisieux Saint Therese of Lisieux who never left her little hometown but has, still has affected people all over the world so she's a missionary who didn't have to go anywhere <laughs> she's did it the little way and it went all over the world. You'll meet people everywhere who have been affected by her, and uh, and evangelized, and their 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 spirituality just refreshed and renewed by her and the beautiful her spirituality. And then you also have Saint Francis Xavier, who baptized more people than anyone ever. You know, went all throughout the world, and uh, especially the Far East, and like India, and um, on the. He was China, I think he was headed. He went to Japan and he was headed to China or China headed to Japan. I don't know how the the whole the his exact route, but uh, he was his arms would ache at the end of the day from how many people he baptized because he was such an evangelist and a wonder worker, healed so many people and brought so many people to know Jesus. How can they call on a name that they have never heard? And how can they hear the name if you don't preach it? This is his commission to you. This is uh, it's in one of the epistles. 
Uh, I forget what it is. Maybe it's in Romans. I can't remember. <laughs> how can they call on a name that they've never heard? And how can they um, hear a name if you don't preach it? So we're sending you out. It may be the little way, like Therese. It may be you actually traveling. For me, it's traveling. I just got back from California. Had the most miraculous time there. I met a guy in um, outside of a diner. I took my family. My family came out for a part of my trip so we could just have some vacation time together. And I met a guy outside the diner after we had breakfast. He had a boot on, uh, like a medical boot. So obviously something wrong with his leg, and the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder. Go ahead and pray with him. So my family's getting in the car, and I just just break the, the, the ice and say to this guy who I'm walking by in the parking lot, hey, what's going on with your foot? He's like, oh, I tore a tendon. And I was like, hey, we do healing ministry, and I, I was here just, I did a healing night at a parish here. Can I pray for you? And I just said, you don't have to do anything, because he looked at me kind of funny. I was like, you don't have to do anything but stand there. And he said, all right. So then I just gave him the gospel. Jesus is your beginning and your end. Chase after Jesus. He has everything for you. He doesn't want to take anything from you. He wants to give you everything. He wants to give you heaven. Chase after Jesus. And uh, I said something like that. And then I was like, and he demonstrates that proclamation of the kingdom. He demonstrates that by healing. So I just, I didn't even touch his leg. I didn't bend down. I didn't do like, we have, we have a five-step model we do. I didn't do any of it. I just said, in the name of Jesus, foot be healed for the glory of God. And I waited a second, and I said, do you feel anything? And he said, yeah, I feel some warmth in it. I was like, praise God, it's a sign of healing. It's like, test it out. So he started kind of leaning on his boot, you know, on the, the foot in the, it's not a cast. It was like a big medical boot strapped around to um, protect it, you know, and support it. And he starts leaning on it, and he's like, well, yeah, it feels better. And I said, Jesus, we want a full healing. Jesus always healed people 100%. So in Jesus' name, be healed for the glory of God. Waited a little bit. I said, do you feel anything? He said, yeah, I feel heat in there. And I said, "Put try to do something you normally can't do. He started, he lifted his good leg and put all of his weight on his boot leg and started going up and down. He's like, yeah, it feels a lot better. And I said, praise Jesus. Usually we measure the pain and we, you know, but I was just, my family's getting in the car. They're waiting for me. And this is just like, I don't know. This is like, boom. So I said, what, what church do you go to? Do you have a believing community? He's like, yeah, I go to, he had to think for a moment. So I'm like, okay, so maybe he doesn't. But he's like, yeah, I go to this certain church. I said, go there. Go there and thank the Lord. Give praise to him and chase after him he has every he has more for you there is greatness in you and he wants to draw it out and shine it as a light like a city on a hill and i jumped in the car and we left wow missionary you know when you're a missionary which you are you you are called to share the everything that you have I got to say this again. You're called to go out and share the everything that you have because you have everything. The only reason you do not identify as a missionary right now is because you believe that you do not have everything. Just that the kingdom is not yours. You exclude yourself from ownership of 
and I'm not talking in a graspy way. I mean, when I say ownership, what I mean is you exclude yourself from the benefits of the kingdom. Forget not his benefits. Remember that? Praise the Lord and forget not his benefits. It's in the psalm. The, you, you're excluding yourself from the benefits because you think some how you've got to get to those benefits. Well, I'll get there someday. But actually, getting to those benefits is you just realizing that you have those benefits. Isn't that crazy? Getting to the benefits, arriving to, in the kingdom, is you coming to your senses. That's profound. Because what, what is what is the prodigal son's father, what does the, the father say to the older brother? He says, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. The older son had been complaining, saying, well, I have never even gotten a kid goat to celebrate with my friends. And the father looks at him, everything that I have is yours. It's already yours. But my son was lost and now he's found. Come in and rejoice with me. Because the older son is speaking the language of transaction in his heart, he can't understand why we would throw a feast for the younger son who has returned. It's just like the, the employees, and then Jesus talks about that parable of he hires, you know, he hired the, the guy who owns the land, hires laborers at the beginning of the day, and then he hires some in the middle of the day and some at the end of the day. And as they're getting paid, the guys who are hired at the beginning of the day think, ooh, I'm going to get more because look how much he paid a full day's wages to the guys at the end of the day. But then they only get the same pay. They're speaking, they're speaking a transaction language where this is the language of generosity, the language of love. And he says, can I not be generous with my own money? The master says to them when they complain, can't I be generous with my own money? Everybody gets the same. Everybody gets the fullness. Everything that I have is yours. We exclude ourselves from that. Well, everything you have is Padre Pio's, but not mine. <laughs> That's the lie. And you, why did Padre Pio send his guardian angel around? Because he had come to his senses and realized his guardian angel was there and available to him. And he nurtured and stewarded a relationship with him. It's not because he's... What's better? Okay, you want to say Padre Pio is better than you? This is what, this is what um, the only difference. The only difference is that he valued and believed it. And he let his life flow from it. So it's really a reflection. It's kind of the difference between Our Lady and Zechariah. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, the high priest. Mary believed God when he said, you're going to conceive a son and made all the promises. She goes, okay, well, how is this going to happen? For I do not know, man. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. She goes, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid just means the maid that is at hand, the close one, the one who is right there. So you grab them because water and electricity seek the path of least resistance, right? Who do you need? I need a glass of lemonade. I'll grab the my maid that's right here because I don't want to go across 
my whole estate and find a maid way over there. I'll grab the one who's close to me. Mary's close to him. She's close to God. She spent her time with him. She valued him. She let her life flow from the intimacy that she believed she had. Everything that God has is hers. So she stays close to him. I know you can hear some voices back there. Just, uh, I'll just let him be. <laughs> so she believed. Zechariah, on the other hand, who was perfectly blameless, uh, observing the law to the letter, says that. He is in the Holy of Holies on the one day of the year that only one priest, the high priest that year, is allowed to go in there and minister. So this is the place and the time where God will speak. Okay, If he's going to be speaking to somebody, it's going to be here. Because the presence of God is in there. It is this time. It is this day. It is the moment of, there's just like, of just like, the veil has thinned, right? He is in the Holy of Holies. And he hears the voice of God and doubts it. The Greek word used there when he says, how can I, how can I be sure when, when it's prophesied to him that Elizabeth will conceive? He says, how can I be sure? Like, how can you, how can I be sure of, of what you're saying? Like, prove it. He didn't trust. He didn't believe. Because he's not the handmaid. Mary is close to God every day. <laughs> he, he, in his religious spirit, was close to God only one day. <laughs> okay? He was, he was close to his righteousness through the law by observing every letter. He was saving himself. And what does God do? He just makes him be silent. He says, okay, you're going to steward silence for 40 days because I speak in the silence of the heart because your body is a temple and your heart is the holy of holies. And that's where God speaks. And you're going to come to know my voice and trust my voice because truthfully, you aren't holy because you're the high priest. You are holy because I dwell in you, because, because you are my image, because I created you and I created you to be a dwelling for me. That's why you're holy, because I love you and I want to live in you and have communion with you and intimacy with you. That's why you're holy, because I love you and I value you. Whoa, that's totally different. You're not holy because of the things you do on the outside. It's the mechanics. The mechanics are supposed to be just uh, the most basic way you could think of it is this way. If I go and give my wife a kiss, Am I doing it because that's the right thing to do? It's good to kiss your wife. Or was it, was it germinated from a little um, uh, a movement of love in my heart? Oh, my heart moved and I went and gave her a kiss. Is an expression of the kiss is the visible mechanical expression of a deeper movement of the heart? Or is it, well, I kiss my wife every day because it is the right thing to do. Because that's what on the outside looks like being a good husband is, you know. Okay, it's only going to last so long if that's what you're doing. You're only trying to make yourself look like a good husband. It, the, the kiss could annoy the heck out of her. 
The kiss could, I don't know what the kiss is going to end up doing if it's a mechanical. If it's a germ, if it's an expression of the movement of your heart, it's like the uh, prodigal, uh, the 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 good Samaritan. He only helped the neighbor. He only recognized his neighbor because he had that I can't say the Greek word, but that deep movement of the heart. His heart moved when God's heart moved, so he couldn't help but go help him. That his helping him was not an, a, a work of mercy. He didn't classify it as that. It was the overflowing of the movement of his heart he couldn't help but do it the scribe and the levite passed the guy by because they're mechanical in their they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to find their neighbor hmm. trying to find their neighbor well my neighbor is is you know the person i'm supposed to be helping at my meeting or whatever so they went and did that. They're, they're, they weren't following the movement of their heart. Their heart wasn't close to the Lord. They were like Zechariah, who were trying to save themselves through their good actions. Yada, yada, yada. Everything that I have is yours. The older son. Everything that I have is yours. Okay, this is why this is moving me in this time. Because Lent is a time for us to rend our hearts and not our garments. It's a time to fast, but not to be unshaven and cover ourselves in ashes and look uh, remorseful and sad. No, no, no. He says, no, 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 no. Fat. Jesus says it in the readings today in Ash Wednesday. Don't uh, let anybody know that you're fasting. Pour oil on your head. Have the joy of, and uh, have the joy of somebody who's feasting, but fast secretly. Let it be a movement of the heart. Fast because, not because I want it to be seen by others that I'm fasting, because I want it to look like I'm a good husband going and giving my wife a kiss. Fast because you want to give some gift to the one who has given you everything. Okay, I want to make a space for you. I want to learn how to die to myself so that you might live within me. It's, it's a way that you can return. You can respond to his fast. His fast was condescending. And dying on the cross for us, right? Becoming flesh, taking human likeness, because we weren't able to come to to deem, you know, to understand equality with God. We can't. We couldn't do it. We grasped at it. We couldn't allow it and receive it. We had to grasp at it. So he's like, "Well, I'll take human likeness then." And our two kingdoms, the kingdom of men and the kingdom of God, will marry and have a son. They will marry and have a son. And the princess of humans was Our Lady, Mary. The prince of the kingdom of God was the Holy Spirit. And they had a son, Jesus. And uh, Jesus is both 100% human, 100% God, it's the marrying of the two kingdoms. The devil thought he ruled the world, the kingdom of men, and Jesus conquered him. Jesus conquered him. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So Jesus lives in you. He lives in you. And it's just like when you fast, you're like saying... 
I want you to have a space there, Lord. I want to learn how to say no to myself, to my primal desires, so I can say yes to you, to have mastery over my passions, so that I can set the way that I feel to the side if the good of the other needs me to say yes to them, okay? So, I mean, we do it in marriage. I can't just go and, you know, you have this physical relationship with your spouse. You don't just go and ingratiate yourself at any moment. You're there to bless and love and be, have intimacy with them. And there are times where they need you to fast from it. And you have to learn how to set yourself to the side because it's something, it's an expression of love. It is not a feeding of an appetite. Okay? Um, and so you learn how to, you have to know how to say no to yourself. It's the true with the truth with the, if you sit down to eat with somebody, let, you know, I went out to dinner with our host in California. We were making a joke because I ate his hamburger. Well, fasting teaches you to say no to yourself. So you don't, I mean, imagine you, you, when you sit down to eat with somebody else, you don't just reach on their plate and take their food. <laughs> I did. It was only because he offered, but we made such a, it was so funny. We laughed so hard about it because he, he the way he joked about it, I was like, yeah, I look over and Mike's eating my burger. He ate the whole thing, <laughs> which I absolutely did. I did do that. Oh, so funny. But, you know, you have to be able to say, well, that belongs to them. This belongs to me and have mastery over your passions. And as you, when to govern them with reason and fasting is just you being able to say no to yourself for the good of the other, for the good of the situation self-control you know it's as fruit of the spirit actually it's like when you say no to yourself you give space for god to live in you you invite the holy spirit to be your food for man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god you spend that time on a fast day feasting on the word of god wow and then as the holy spirit plants his seeds in you through the word right you then bear fruit. He bears fruit. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. It's unbelievable. You have control over yourself. So you can meet with other people in a way that um, builds them up and builds you up and is just ordered and holy, right? You know, you can't, you know, Imagine if every, if everybody you talked to sat there spitting in your face, put their putting their hands in your pocket, <laughs> taking stuff out of your wallet. <laughs> you know, it's like whoa, 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 whoa! You got to learn some basic rules of self control so that we can actually meet and have a have a meeting and encounter each other. I mean, this is so basic to like interact interact social intelligence. It's the same thing in 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 uh, in the kingdom is learning how to come before God, learning who he is, who I am, where I begin and I end, where he begins and he ends. We're having good boundaries, you know, understanding how it works. And then you can meet and you can actually choose the good of the other. And you can actually love and even even lay down your life out of love. Remember St. Paul says, if you lay your life down and there's no love, well, it's, it's no good. It means nothing. It's got to be up from a movement of love. It can't be from a movement of trying to look like I, of self-promotion. Well, look at me, look at me. And the, I'm going to tell you, because your heart is doomed to die, 
because your heart is knows that you are mortal. It says in Jeremiah 17, the heart above all things. Above all things, the heart deceives. It will deceive you. Your, your motivation for what the good things that you do, you, if you try to analyze it, your heart deceives. Wickedly, there's desperately wicked. It means desperate in its mortality. It's desperate in its mortality. So it's constantly trying to increase itself, constantly trying to prove itself. I'm a good person. I can see it in myself. My whole walk of in religion has been trying to be the best, trying to be good. To the point where God would say to me, uh, well, Mike, what would you like if he asked me in, in prayer? And I had a good relationship. with God, a very good conversation going with him. And he would say, well, what would you like in a certain situation? I'd say, well, God, what should I do in this situation? And I would feel him say, what would you like? And I would say, well, what's the right thing? Because what's the right thing? I mean, you know, when you go out to eat with somebody and you're like, um, hey, where do you want to eat? And they'll say, well, where do you want to eat? You know, actually, I want you to decide this time. And they'll say, uh, well, what's the right place to go to, like, for you? <laughs> like, I like everything. Let's just go somewhere. But I want you to choose because I don't want to do this for you. Well, okay, yeah, I could say it goes back and forth both ways. But what kind of friendship is that if you're only trying to ever you know, it's it's like I found I found this that when I finally hear like from my wife, when I hear something that she actually wants to do, what a treasure that is. Take it and run with it because that is a real gift to actually find out what she would like to do because then I can actually do it. Uh, businesses spend a lot of money on focus groups, focus groups that will actually give them honest feedback. Well, actually, this tastes like crap. <laughs> That's what we need to know. I want to know how it tastes because I actually want to have something that tastes good because I want to make money. Okay, they know that, so it just bears. It 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 it, it it's reflective of how you see, of how you're living out. The way you you practice religion can be reflective of how you of the play the status of your of the motivations of your heart. Am I? I need. I am not enough. I need to be enough, and this is how you get to be enough. This is how you increase yourself. You're in competition with your own uh, con the, 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 the con condemnation of death. I'm going to die, and I have to survive. You're constantly competing against that. So your heart deceives. To know, so, so the Lord would say to me, like, well, what, 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 do, you, what do you want, Mike? And I'd say, well, what's the right thing? He's like, this is not fun, Mike. It's not fun. To be friends with somebody who just wants to do the right thing. You're just kind of constantly trying to be good, be on your best behavior. What kind of relationship is that? What do you want? Do you have any desire in your heart? Um, wow. What do you want? And so, you know, like my, 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 the way I lived out religion was to try and become something that I already am to try and promote myself. And it's not really, I was, I wasn't thinking I need to promote myself. It was like, I need to do this because this is what good, a good person does. I need to give my wife a kiss because that's what a good husband does. I'm not saying that that's where the motivations of my marriage came from. I'm just saying my religion, the way I lived out the faith. Now, 
accidentally, as I'm praying rosaries and going to mass and going to confession, I'm getting great theology from homilies. I'm reading scripture. I'm getting having real encounters with Jesus all along. <laughs> but he had to expose in me after many years of living in religion how I was using religion to promote myself. That is false religion, okay? That is holding the form of religion but denying its power. In this sense, holding the form of religion and denying its power. That's, you know, renting the garments and not the heart. Holding the form of religion and denying its power. It would, what, what happened is I would start to have a lot of condemnation because I would think that the way, reason things aren't going right is because we had bad music in church, because we had extraordinary ministers and only the priest should be distributing Eucharist. And I, you, know, we can, you can make arguments in all these directions. And I could, I could right now. I could spend hours talking about it. All it would bear fruit in is condemnation. And I would actually miss out on receiving Jesus and communing with him at Mass because I would be so offended by how the church was not being pious enough, how you had extraordinary ministers that were, you know, blurring out our understanding of what the priesthood is and how sacred it is. And, and so then we, we, then we're, you know, uh, we're, we're getting diminished, diminishing our sensitivity to the power of the Eucharist. Because in my mind, it's like, you know, if you only had the priest's hands holding it, oh, then we would realize, man, this is something important. Now, I'm not saying this isn't true. Okay, it is, it's true. Like, it's the way we treat the Eucharist is kind of reflective of what we think it is. We have little anticipation for Jesus to really heal us. Like, we should be expecting every time we go to the Eucharist that I'm going to get healed because I'm going to be touching the body of Jesus, even consuming the body of Jesus. Oh my gosh, more powerful than any medicine in the world, more powerful than anything I'll ever do. We, we, we have a muted anticipation. But you want to know what? Because I thought, well, the reason people have a muted um, anticipation with the Eucharist is because extraordinary ministers. <laughs> That's what I thought. So I just went into condemnation. Every time I went to Mass, I actually enfleshed what I was condemning because I missed out on my my anticipation for co for communion was this is what my anticipation was i'm going to it's going to be such a near occasion for me to be upset because there are extraordinary ministers instead of just the priest <laughs> that became my so i actually enfleshed what i knew so i had good interpretation right remember in in uh, luke 10 when the when the guy says when Jesus, he says, he's asking about his neighbor. Remember, that? he says, what, what do I need to do to live? And, and Jesus said, well, what about the law? How do you read it? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, your soul and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. He says, you are right. You have perfect interpretation. I also, in my religious, in my sort of, uh, reasons for um i was right okay i was right i had good interpretation but then the guy says this it says in the scripture in luke 10 in order to justify himself 
or looking to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So he was actually just trying to justify himself, save himself through religion. Who's saving you? Religion is a gateway. It's not a thing you do in order to become good. It is a, you don't go to church to please God. You go there to enjoy him. Because everything that I have is yours, the older, the father says to the older son. Everything that I have is already yours. Live from that instead of trying to get to it. Live from that instead of trying to get to it. Okay? That's kind of the renewal of the mind. Um, I'm not saying you don't, that sin, um, you know, oh, then you can just do whatever you want. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you actually come to know God and love him now, like love and intimacy now, figuring out your problems Second, love and intimacy now, figuring out problems second. When, you, when you're able to do that, you cooperate with him. You have, the catechism says, you have a law written on your heart. It's already there. Paragraph 1776. I'm just remembering this. I'm, this is from my memory. You have a law written on your heart. It's your conscience. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to come in, because he says the, it says in the same paragraph that the voice of God resounds in the depths of your heart. It's there that he speaks, Zechariah. It's in the silence of the heart. The Holy of Holies is a, is a holy place with the presence of God, but it's only there to be, and holy so that you know what's in you. It's, it's, that's true about a church. A church has Jesus in the Eucharist in it, and we think, well, God is there, but he's not here. He's there. No, 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 no. A church building will never be forgiven. A church building will crumble and fall someday. It was true in the, it was just in the Bronx, and they had brought two parishes together to be one parish, and one of the church's buildings is no longer a church anymore. You will have a glorified body. You will be at the dwelling place of God forever. A church building never gets forgiven. You get forgiven. And Jesus said, who, for, who loves you more? The one forgiven 50 or the one forgiven 500? The one forgiven 500. Whoa. So also, you never gave me any water for my feet when I came into your house. She's washing my feet in her tears. So you, the Pharisee, the spirit of religion is doesn't do anything in relationship. Religion is there to be a gateway for you to walk through to encounter the living God, okay? And it's, you, I'm not saying a church isn't holy. But the fact that Jesus lives and dwells in me does not diminish the holiness of a church. The holiness of a church also does not diminish the holiness of the temple of my body. No. One of them is there as a symbol because when you walk into a church, that church is filled with the presence of God. It is holy. And you can feel it. And you encounter God there. It's a place set apart. Holiness in Greek and Hebrew means set apart. So a church is holy. It is set apart for God. Very holy. 
And when you walk into that church, it's to recatechize you, bring you back to your senses as to how holy you are. You are set aside. You do not, you're not like trees and rocks and, and uh, otters and eels, okay? You are set aside. You are made in the image of God. You are an expression of the love of God. You are his holy dwelling place. You project God. You are the light of the world. God wants to shine in the world through you. So for you to know, you need the church to be a holy place because it's a place where you go back and are brought back to your senses. Oh, this is what I am. It activates you. It doesn't diminish you. Okay? It's really, really important. Religion is there to facilitate an encounter with God, not to... Uh, you know, for you to be a whitewashed tomb. It's a, it's supposed to be a beautiful, beautiful. Um, like, like think about the mass. The mass just carries itself. The mass is so powerful. It is in a symbolic language, and I could kind of go on about a lot of the symbols that the Lord has revealed to me, and I've heard through homilies and heard through just being a part of the church all these years. So many beautiful, beautiful things in the liturgy that are there to remind you. Do this in remembrance of me, to remember you. Put your members back together. It's to put the family of God back together. Bring you back to your senses into who you are. That's why St. Paul said, you know, I rejoice in my own sufferings because in my flesh, I am making up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, in the afflictions of Christ. He's, Paul was saying, I, my sufferings, that whole chapter is about him being there to remind them of what they already have <laughs> because they've sort of forgotten. Because earlier he says there's no, the, the sufferings of Jesus on the cross were total. They're complete. You can't add to it. You don't need anything more than that. He did one time. He did enough for everything. More than enough for everything. <clears throat> and now here he says, I rejoice in my own sufferings. His sufferings, the, the word for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, the Greek word there, it actually is used in when our when Mary is speaking to Jesus in John, what is it, John 2? In the beginning, I think it's John 2 or John 3, during the wedding feast at Cana. I think it's John 2, where she says, they have run out of wine. They've run out of wine. So what has what is running out in the sufferings of Christ? In other words, they've they had the first wine, they're running out, and they need to be remember they need to be reminded. And St. Paul's suffering in that he's having to go to the churches, travel, pour himself out, be hungry and cold and beaten and suffer all these things for you so that you can have Christ and you can have everything. Okay, he, but he's rejoicing in those sufferings that I just have to remind you of what you already have, what God Jesus already did for you. That's what church does. You go and that's what religion does. Is supposed to. It's filled with power, filled with power. It's the power of God. We don't. You got to take your faith out of your actions, which is the rending of the garments, and put your faith in the power of God, which is the rending of your heart, which is you saying. Lord, I believe. 
I'm not going to go by how I feel. I'm not going to go by how I, uh, 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 how I can quantitatively prove to you that I am unworthy because I have this shame, 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 shame. I'm going to rend my heart and I'm going to say, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your mercy. I'm going to trust that you actually love me. I'm going to go to confession and actually believe that I've been forgiven. Okay? You walk through confession to be brought back into communion. Not to somehow justify yourself. Because really, what do you do in confession? You don't do anything. You just say sorry. You don't go out there and right all your wrongs. <laughs> all you do is you go say sorry. But man, do you come out of there feeling like you've met the, the you just having experienced the grace of God. His presence, his power. You walk out of confession just like feeling like wonderful, right? And what did you do? You didn't do anything. You barely did anything. You just said, I did this, 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 this. You just fessed up. <laughs> My goodness. And God just pours on his, he does it all. He pours on his grace. He washes you clean. So actually walk through confession as if you are walking into the kingdom of God. You're walking into intimacy with him. Go to the Eucharist expecting Jesus to heal you. Be at Mass to enjoy the wonder and the power of the kingdom of God. And that he's going to have expectation that this is going to change me forever. Just this Mass, this one Mass I'm going to go to will change me forever. I get to go and sit at his feet and watch him. You know, behold the Lamb of God as he's holding the Eucharist up. We have this Eucharistic revival going on. You know, a monstrance is just a physical like thing to to mimic the the hands of the priest elevating the eucharist in that moment when he says behold the lamb of god okay this is after the consecrations right before we say lord i am not worthy that you should enter under my roof he's holding up the eucharist saying behold this in the uh, in the ancient days they couldn't receive the eucharist all the time there was they had to receive the eucharist like once a year or maybe twice like easter and christmas or maybe just once a year i can't remember that was that's the rule like you you have to go to mass every sunday but you can only you had to at least receive once a year or twice a year somebody can correct me on this call me <laughs> but um but that was their moment was when he would hold the Eucharist up and say, Behold the Lamb of God. He's saying the words of, um, of um, John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. You know, when, when uh, John the Baptist says, I saw a dove come down and rest upon him. Behold the Lamb of God. It's, it's Jesus fulfilling John 3, verses uh, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the desert so also the son of man must be lifted up that all who believe in him will be saved i'm quoting from memory here so it might, might be a few words off just as moses lifted up the serpent and remember they got bit by serpents because they were grumbling and they're so there's a symbol of their sin right how sin kills you it poisons you and kills you sin is exiting communion with god putting some block between me and God or exit or, or causing somebody else to have a blockage between them and God. That's sin. It's just, it's, it's anti-communion. It's taking people out of communion with God. That's what sin is. Any sin can be defined by that. 
That's the definition of sin. And then, um, or putting, you know, uh, yeah. So that's that's sin, right? So they 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 got bit by the serpent, and then they looked. God had them make a bronze serpent, which um, it's funny in the Hebrew there. It's like it's the same word. It doesn't say bronze serpent. It just says like a bronze bronze. Or a serpent, serpent. I mean, it's the exact same word twice. But they held it up. I'd have to look at that again. Don't quote me on that. But I remember reading over that and just like spending a couple hours and just like, what does this mean? There's meaning there. We'll get back to that with another podcast. But like they lifted it up and anybody who looked at it was healed. That's amazing. So they were just healed by looking at it. That's why Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent and the in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the moment. Behold the Lamb of God. The priest does that. And a monstrance is the priest's hands. You know, he can't stand there all day long, so we build a monstrance to hold it so that you can sit there and behold the Lamb of God and be healed just by looking at it. You see, you got to carry the connotation of what happened in the wilderness there. What happened? They were bitten by sin and they were healed just by gazing at the serpent. When you look at the Lamb of God who is offered up for your sins, right? Jesus on the cross. You see your sins, the serpent. They looked up and they saw the serpent in the wilderness that bit them. You see your sins nailed to the cross. What has bitten you is nailed to the cross. It is dead it's killed. It's conquered by Jesus dying. He became sin for us. <sighs> and you are healed. Wow. It's like Barabbas. Barabbas in, uh, in uh, Aramaic, Bar means son, and Abba means father. Bar Abba. And in the Greek, they add an S to make it masculine, I'm pretty sure. Barabbas. So it's Bar Abba. In the original Greek, it actually says Yeshua bar Abba. It says Jesus Barabbas. In Matthew 27, the, the um, Pilate says, do you want me to release to you Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Messiah, the Christ? And they say Jesus Barabbas. Think about that. His name is actually Jesus Barabbas, Yeshua Bar Abba, Jesus, Son of the Father. That's Barabbas. His name is Jesus, Son of the Father. That's you. Because Jesus lives in you and you are, you have his divine sonship now. That's been released to you. You're released from prison. And then, or do you want me to release to you Jesus Hamashiach, Yeshua Hamashiach in Hebrew, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. And they say, release Barabbas. So, you're being released from prison, even though you're a murderer in the sense that you're like you're descended from Adam. You're 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 the older brother. You're Cain who murders Abel, right? We're all older brother, and uh, the, the, from the first Adam, we all share that identity of of uh, Cain of older brother. And then Jesus is the younger brother, who is is the murdered one, right? But Saint Paul says his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out from the ground. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. And so he, 
the he's the anointed one he goes to the cross for you you're looking at him on the cross he has taken he has become condemned become sin he is the serpent lifted up in the wilderness and i am free when you come to know that it's it's waking up to that that's why religion exists okay is to remind you it is saint paul saying i am rejoicing in my sufferings because i'm making up in my own flesh okay what was lacking in this what what has been running out in the sufferings of christ in other words that you're forgetting and i need to remind you and so that's what this church that's why we have an institution of the church it's like it's a place to go back and have your senses come back to your senses Oh, and then let your actions flow from what God did for you. You start acting like a rescued person. He rescued me. I'm worth it to him. Wow. It was worth it to him to die for me. He didn't die for me because it didn't wasn't worth it to him. I have that kind of worth. I know that I am not worthy. That word in Greek, I am not worthy. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. That that word means to to. It comes from the word that means to arrive. Okay, it comes from that. I think it's like hikos or something like that. Or, uh, I'm not going to try and remember it. I should have it pulled up in front of me. Um, it comes from that word, so it's derived from this verb that means to arrive. So it means to be become enough to be sufficient. I am not sufficient for you. It's the same word that um, John the Baptist used when he says, I, I am not sufficient to bend down and undo his the strap of his sandal. You know, um, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gotten there yet. But I'm subject to authority, and I have people subject to, to my authority. If I say to one go, he goes. One to come, he comes. Just say the word and my soul will be healed. You put all your your faith in the power of what he's done for you. You respond to that as you behold what he did for you. Whoa, he became sin. I'm set free. I'm going to put all my faith in your power. Take the faith out of my actions. Um, that means I'm not going to rend my garments. I'm going to rend my heart. I'm going to put my faith into what you've done, this expression of love that you have done for me. I'm worth it to you. I'm worth it to you. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And he's saying on the cross, in the Eucharist there as he's holding it up and he's saying, behold, he's saying, I lay my body down for you. This is my body given up for you. You're worth it to me. This is my blood. Pour it out for you. What else do I have to do to prove to you that I love you? I, I can't do anything else. This is everything I have. Everything that I am, I've poured out for you because you are worth it to me. I love you. I love you this much. It's an I love you. It's a betrothal. It is an espousing. I want to die for you. Wow, it's back to marriage. You know, St. Paul says, what is it, Ephesians 5, wives, obey your husbands, right? Be submissive to your husbands. Well, I heard a great explanation of this. Submissive, sub means under, and missive comes from mission, submission. What is, to obey your husband means to 
submit to him, have submission. It means to be under his mission. And then right after that, he says, and husbands, this is your mission. Treat your wife as Christ treated the church. Go die for her. Okay? So for the wife, it doesn't mean do whatever your husband says. No! It means let him die for you. Be under his mission. Uh, Be like, let him die for you. He wants to die for you. Husbands, go die for your wives. Isn't that beautiful? Lay your life down for him. Go, Go get on the cross for him. And wives, let them do that for you. That's marriage. It's love. Like I, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I have to do so that you can have, so you can be cared for, so you can have everything that you need. Um, and wives, let him do it. It's 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 uh, it's like the um, gosh, uh, the original curse. Your heart will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Like you're going to think you have to earn his love. And because of that, he is a master instead of a uh, instead of a lover. He's a master. You have, you, it's the way we treat Jesus. We treat God that way because we're the bride, right? Our heart is for our husband, and he rules over us. We have to have a ruler. We have to have you, God, as a as a as a master. Can't have you as a as a husband because we can't speak spousal love because I'm not worthy. And he's like, no, you were worth it to me. Rend your heart. Get out of this. I have to save myself somehow. I have to become good enough. You already are. You were worth it to me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that any who believe in him will not die but have eternal life. That was, it was motivated from his love for, for, for man who was doing everything wrong, who was totally in sin, and the only people who actually had a relationship with God were trying to save themselves, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, and didn't even trust his voice. And then you have Mary, who is just close to him. And so, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I'm the one who's close. I'm the closest one to you. You know, I'm the one nearby, because she values it. She She doesn't have to become worthy enough. She, she comes close to him in her lowliness. Remember, he, looked on me, he has looked on me in my lowliness. And every generation will call me blessed. My unworthiness just testifies to the purity of his love. You know, it just shows how much it's not about how I, what I've done. It's about what he values. He values me. Whoa. Rend your hearts, not your garments. So this is the reason this is hitting me so deep today is well of course it's Ash Wednesday but it's also because the Lord brought me to Genesis thirty three this line it's going to make me cry I've been just like in tears over it because it's, just power. it's so powerful Genesis thirty three verse eleven so you have this scenario where Esau and Jacob Jacob stole quote unquote stole the birthright and the blessing from um, two different moments here. You know, there's the moment where he says, well, will you give me your birthright if I give you a bowl of soup? And, and Esau is starving. And so he's like, yes. Because, and then uh, later, uh, Rebecca helps Jacob get the 
disguise himself as Esau so he steals the blessing, right? So that he gets the blessing. And then Esau comes in and Jacob realizes he's been fooled that he gave the blessing of the firstborn to his secondborn, to Jacob. But he meant to give it to Esau and he's, he weeps. He's, he's, and so does Esau. And Esau begs him to bless him. And he does bless him. But um, it's interesting how the Hebrew is there for another podcast. Uh, but this is what's cool is that Esau has planned to kill him. He, this is not in, this is, uh, in the previous chapters. His plan is to kill Jacob. So Jacob has to leave. And Rebecca has him sent away to go find a wife. And she, she makes a whole plan and tricks, gets Jacob to kind of make the, um, to send him to Laban to find a wife there because she just wants to save him from Esau. So he gets, Jacob is, you know, he goes and he goes through all that, the trouble and trials with, with Laban and finally has his wives, Leah and Rachel, and he, God calls him to come back. So he's coming back and he has to face Esau. So this is a terrifying moment. And uh, in Genesis 32, he, you know, he comes to the stream he wrestles with the angel. There's so much beauty in all of this. I mean, it's a whole podcast. It's so beautiful what happens. And God kind of wounds him. The angel wounds him. He names him Israel, for you've contended with God and man and have prevailed, right? The name Israel means God fights. God contends. So from now on, God's going to fight your battles for you, brother. He sends him forth wounded, limping to meet Esau. And Esau is has got 400 guys with him. He knows he's coming with these 400 guys. He's terrified, Jacob is. He, he goes to Esau. Oh, gosh, I wish I could explain some of the rest of it. It's so beautiful, but uh, at least the parts that God has shown me. First, I'll share one thing. The word to limp in uh, Hebrew, as he limped forward, it means to curve to the side. So it also has another derivative meaning, which is rib. So as Eve was taken from Adam's rib, it's the same word in Hebrew that uh, Jacob l limped forward as, as, a, as a denominative, as a verb. He limped because it's curved to the side um, to meet Esau. Think about that. You know, you are taken from the rib of the, you're the you are as the new Eve, you know, descendant of Mary, your mom, the new Eve. And the church is is as the church's identity as Eve is derived from Mary's identity as new Eve, taken from the rib of the new Adam, Jesus. So you were born, reborn in baptism. Like you die and are reborn as a new creation in baptism, and you're baptized in the blood and water. Sorry, that water that gushed forth from the heart of Jesus. It's the second flood. And it's his blood mixed with it that took the violence out of it, right? So you're, you're reborn from Jesus' rib. You're born of a wound. Think about that. You are born of a wound. So we're like the walking wounded. You are rebirthed from a wound. Jacob was sent to meet Esau limping. By, by the angel. The angel strikes him in the soft spot of his hip, of his thigh, and sends him forth 
limping. That word limp and the word rib are the same word in Hebrew. He's, you're commissioned and sent forth as a new creation from a wound. Okay, limping. We're the walking wounded. And he has to, and his name, his new name is Israel. God contends. Yisrael. God will contend for you, will fight for you. And as he comes to uh, uh, Esau, his, who wants to kill him, who he stole the blessing from, Esau buries his face in uh, Jacob's neck, weeping, and kisses him. It was while well, he was still a ways away. I gotta read this to you. It's so, so beautiful. It's Genesis thirty-three. It says, uh, "So, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him." That's verse four, and they wept. Oh, that's so beautiful. Immediately what comes to mind is the prodigal son. As the prodigal son is returning, having squandered his inheritance, his the inheritance, right, that Jacob got, it's like the father is in the middle of the two of them here. You have the older brother, the older son, and the younger son. You have Esau and you have Jacob. And the invisibly in between the two is the father. So they actually are the voice of the Father to each other. Listen to this. This is amazing. Esau ran to meet him as the father ran to meet the prodigal son, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children who said, and, and so he goes on, he sees everything that he has, right? The women and the children. He said, who, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. This is what Jacob says. God has graciously given to me. Then the maidservants came near and their children and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near. You can see how Jacob was so terrified. He, he set them into three companies. He put maidservants and, ca and cattle and that kind of stuff first. Uh, his servants and his livestock. Then he puts uh, Leah and her kids to come next in another party, and then Rachel and her kids, because he thinks that, that Esau is going to just be slaughtering them all. So he puts them in order of their importance to him. And last come, come Rachel and her kids, and he goes before them all, okay? Jacob does limping. And then Esau is just shocked by this huge, he goes, what? Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God. So he, he is having an experience of God as he sees Esau, who wanted to murder him, okay? He is having an experience. A revelation is coming to him, which is our vocation. Remember the, the, it says in the catechism, the vocation of man is to make God manifest. Like God wants people to see on your face, his face. And when you bless, you know, let uh, his face shine on you. May his face shine on you and may he be gracious to you. That's, may his face actually be sitting on your face then, and shine. And then uh, may 
be his he his face be carried over you or lift may he lift his face over you it actually says may he carry his face on you it literally says that may he yisa adonai panavalaicha may he carry his face on you may god carry his face on you may he put his face on you here it is jacob sees the face of god on esau may he carry his face on you and set you firmly in peace and then god says in deuteronomy it's is it Deuteronomy 6? When you bless the, in this way, I will write my name on them. Okay? <laughs> this is what's happening right here. Jacob is see, as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Now, here's the, here's the verse that I wanted to get to. It's verse 11 in Genesis 33. Please take my blessing. It's baracha in Hebrew. Berach means to bless. The, the book Baruch means blessed. Okay? It's the exact word that Jake, of the blessing that Jacob stole from Esau, the blessing of, of Isaac, okay, the blessing of the firstborn, to receive the, his blessing that goes to the firstborn. He says, please take my blessing, the exact word that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, okay, and this is the word chanan. It's the first time it comes in scripture. And it is, uh, it means loving kindness or mercy, to be gracious. It means to, to stoop down and in kindness to something that's beneath you. Okay. God has been great, dealt graciously or been merciful with me. In some of the translations, it, it, it's written because God has dealt mercifully with me and because I have enough. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you again. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Okay, at face value, he's saying, take this livestock and stuff that I want to give you because he, he, he was sending him a gift. He wanted to give him a bunch of livestock and some servants and stuff. Please take that because God has been gracious with me and because I have enough. In the Hebrew, it says, please take my blessing. Let's see, I'm going to see the actual Hebrew here. Please take birchati, um, birchati, my blessing. So the blessing that was given to me by Jacob. Please take my blessing. I'm sorry, by Isaac. Please take the blessing that was given to me by Isaac. Take it. He's giving it to him. That is brought to you because God has been merciful with me and the word, it says, and because I have enough. It doesn't say that in Hebrew. It says, because I, and because I have coal, everything. And a lot of translations actually say that. Because I have everything. And then they'll add in parentheses, that I need. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, can, you can insert that, you know, as a, just in, as a, to try and translate it as, oh, because I have everything I need. No, no, no. He was saying what Jesus, what the father says to the older son. And here's Jacob being God. uh, It's the father being manifest to the older son, Esau, through Jacob. Everything that I have is yours. Take my blessing. Even that firstborn blessing is yours. I'm giving it to you. Because 
God has been merciful to me, and I have everything. It literally says, God has been dealt mercifully with me, and I have everything. <laughs> it's incredible. And that's what the, the younger son, Jesus, is saying to you from the cross. He's like, rend your heart. Everything that I have is yours. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to be good enough for it. It is already yours. The older son is trying to be good enough. I've never, I never left you. And you never give me a kid goat to celebrate with my friends. He says, everything that I have is yours. And my son has been, was lost and now has been found. Jacob was lost. He had to be sent away. So he, um, and he had to earn, he had to toil for his inheritance there. Right? He had to toil for it. And it's so it, now, now materially he was blessed. God blessed him, but he was starving. He was starving for his, um, for peace. Okay. To be accepted by Esau, to not have Esau out there who wanted to kill him and who was filled with power. Esau was a powerful man with 400 men ready to just, you know, it, it, it comes out in, how, in the next line. Jacob says, or in the next paragraph, Jake, Esau is telling him, you know, let's all travel together. And Jacob's like, no, 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 because your men will, you know, they might drive us too hard. Let me go slow with the nursing um, uh, goats and sheep and all that and just bring my livestock along slowly and my servants and my children because you'll drive us too hard and we'll die. So it's like this Esau is this man of like, remember, Asa in Hebrew, it means to do or to make. Esau is a doer. He's a maker. He wanted to, he wanted to be a self-made man. That's why he despised the, the uh, birthright. Jacob was all about inheritance and blessing. He valued it. And then when Esau realizes it, you know, they have this whole contention. But here he is. They are reunited. Psalm 133. How good and how pleasing when brothers live in unity. How good. Behold how good and pleasing it is when brothers live as one. Achad in Hebrew. As brothers live as one. And that is it's like oil pouring off the beard of Aaron, go pouring down and running off his sleeve. Why is it re referencing that? Because who's pouring the oil on, on Aaron? It's like oil pouring off of Aaron's beard. Aaron's the older brother. His younger brother Moses is pouring oil on him, is anointing him. It's the unity of Moses and Aaron, of the younger son and the older son, of of Jacob and Esau being reunited here. God fought the battle for him. His new name is Israel. God f has fought your battle for you. He is the serpent lifted up in the desert. All you have to do is behold. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you say, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. I haven't arrived yet. But I am subject to authority and I have men subject to me. And if I say to one, he go, go, he goes. And one come, he comes. So only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I'm going to put my faith in your power, Lord. And in how much you love me and value me. Instead of 
rending my garments instead of getting more religious. He's saying, don't get more religious. Get more in the heart and let let religion be powerful. Let it be an encounter of two lovers, a savior and the saved, the rescuer and the rescued, the groom and the bride. Wow. Instead of, you know, your heart will be for your husband and he will rule over you. (laughs) That's what came from sin. You're constantly trying to show your worth to him. Constantly trying to prove your worth. You don't have to prove a thing. The Holy Spirit proves it for you. St. Paul said it. It is the Spirit of God that testifies with my spirit that I'm a child of God. The Holy Spirit proves it. He, you don't have to prove anything. It is for you to believe. The Son of Man will be lifted up as Moses lifted the serpent in the desert. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that any who believe in him will be saved. Wow, you really do. You really are God incarnate. You really did die for me. You really value me that much. All right, come on in. (laughs) I'm sold. Sold out for Jesus. I want you, Jesus, with or without anything else. You are my beginning and my end. You are where I come from. You are where I'm headed to. Everything that was created was created through Jesus. Everything is reconciled in Jesus. Everything is going back to him. I'm sold, Lord. Yes, come and love me. Come and have intimacy with me. Come and into the temple of my body. Start to believe. Come to your senses. You're in a church, not to just see how much what a church has that you don't have. It's to realize what you are and to actualize it what you already are. Come to your senses. The younger son runs back to the father. Comes here, Jacob comes to his senses. God is going to, I'm Israel. Where does he head right after this? He heads to Shechem and he gets there safely. He wasn't destroyed by Esau. He gets there safely and he immediately builds an altar. He buys the land that's right outside of Shechem and he builds an altar altar to the Lord and he names it El which is God Elohe which is my God Yisrael Israel my God is the God of Israel and he is Israel the God of Israel is my God who fights for me okay Yisrael means God will contend God will fight wow he brought me safely here he, he saw the face of God in Esau. What he, th- what he was most afraid of ended up being revealing God to him. It was like he was being received by the father as, J- as Esau fell into his neck and kissed him. It's the father. He was enfleshing the father to, to the younger son being received back. And then he was the father to the older son saying, everything that I have is yours. You don't have to earn this, Esau. You, the doer, wants to be a self-made man who despised the inheritance. You don't have to earn this. This God has been merciful to me. This comes from the, the graciousness and the mercy of God. So I have everything. And then Esau receives it. The older son receives it. 
<sighs> he receives the gift. So he's, they were, it's the prodigal son. This story of Esau, Esau, Esau and Jacob is the story of the prodigal son. And they each enflesh the father to each other. Man, is that powerful. As I read that, I was just reading this this morning. God brought it to, to me and just had me read it. And I was in tears because he's touching a place in my heart where I feel always, constantly, the heart deceives. I'm constantly, my heart is deceiving and, and I'm trying to, to become something that, that I'll be tomorrow. Okay? It's constantly living for something that I'll be tomorrow. And that's the lie. It's already mine. Everything that I have is yours, Mike. You, the first lie, first paragraph of the catechism. You're created that you might. Sh God created you that you might share in His blessed life. He created man that he might share in His blessed life. You have His blessed life now, because you have Jesus. You know, in Him was life, and His life. And the life was the light of men. Behold the Lamb of God. <laughs> oh, I'm not worthy, but only say the word. And you put all your faith into it. Now start living from the fact that he said that word. He said it. I had a friend named uh, 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 Jason one time. We were praying with him. And the Lord said to me, um, look up his name in scripture. He actually, had, no, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. While we were praying for him, I saw this line. I saw this line. We were like praying over him, you know, like there were a group of us praying and prophesying for him. And I saw this line. Lord, I am not worthy that you would enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And so, and the Lord told me, look it up in the lexicon or in the, in the Greek translation. So I looked it up. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be, the Greek word, Jason. The name Jason is a Greek word, yason, which means healed. Isn't that incredible? And so I had spoken that name over, that, that line before I knew it, over my friend. My friend. I said, I'm seeing this line for you. Um, Lord... I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. I believe the Lord has spoken that word over you, Jason. He has spoken it over you. He wants you to live as though from the place of that he has said that, and you are worthy. He has made you worthy. In other words, you're worth it to him. You're worthwhile to him. That's what worthiness is. Is It was worth it for me to go to the cross for you because God so loved the world. Okay, I love you that much. It is worth it. That's where your worth comes from. It doesn't come from you having done a lot of great things. I haven't arrived. Remember, that's the great I haven't arrived yet. I'm not worthy, Lord. But only say the word. I'm going to put my faith in your authority and your great love for me, your power and your great love for me, and take my faith out of my actions. Put my faith in your love. And then the Lord tells me, look it up in the Greek, and it literally says, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be Jason. His name, we were, we were all just like, what? Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And it's literally the, 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 the etymological grandparent of the name Jason. Jason comes from the word healed or healer in, in, uh, to heal in, um, in Greek. 
So praise Jesus. I just will leave this with you. It's a long podcast, but I don't care. I, I, I really don't care anymore. We're building our culture at Shadow in the Water around wasting time on Jesus. If you don't have time, whatever. You don't have to listen to it. There's only one person we really care about being in the room, and that is Jesus. I love this. This, you know, it was I, I learned this from a, a guy down in Florida, this pastor down there. His name is Michael Koulianis. He has this wonderful uh, model for building his church community based on what would please Jesus. And I don't care if people come or they don't come. What pleases you, Lord? And, you know, I had a priest say to me recently, like, like I gave a little, a little um, invitation after mass, after mass, and um, I know how we Catholics think. And the priest was, uh, he said, you know, I was giving another one after the next mass. He said, could you make it a little shorter because they don't need two homilies. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yes, you're right. But at the same time, we Catholics get angry because I worked at a parish for five years, and I my priest told me if I sing the Alleluia at the 6 a.m. mass the people will crucify me. That's what he said. And they will. They'll yell at him. They'll complain. Um, we build our liturgies and our, um, just the way our church life around how people receive it. Ooh, dangerous. Um, you know, to, that's fear of man. Jesus says, do not fear the one who can destroy your body. Fear the one who, and they capitalize that in scripture. Fear the one whom after you've died can throw your soul into Gehenna. You know, I'll, I'll show you the one whom you should fear. Fear God. You fear God and you do not fear man. So building that shadow of the water, I want to, I take in that same stance. You know, if people leave, fine. You turn it off, fine. I don't care. You got something else to do? Go do something else. But for my part, I, we're wasting time with Jesus. We're spending time with him and wasting. It's worth it. And then it's going to draw people because Jesus is here. On our, the OMC, people get healed. When we were in California, there were healings left and right. Cancer healed. We had two people who had been in bed for, one lady was for three weeks, the other lady was for a whole month because of their treatments. One lady's brain tumor was metastasizing. Prayed over her in the name of Jesus, rebuked the cancer. She popped out of bed and went to mass, been going to mass every day, taking walks. She feels way better. And her, her glioblastoma was metastasizing. So we're gonna, she'll get a, a, a scan and we'll see what actually happened. The other lady receiving treatment for a month and is just blasted, totally fatigued, in bed all day. Prayed over her. She jumps out of bed made next morning, made breakfast for everybody, made dinner, took us out to lunch, offered to take us to the airport, all this energy, <laughs> had her appetite restored. I mean, the power of God is moving in shadow in the water, this, our, this ministry. God is moving. We had a lady healed on our last OMC who had had pain for, in her foot for over 10 years. And she, as I, I just saw feet and started to pray for feet, and her foot started burning inside burning and she was totally healed they told me later they waited like half a week and then told me later and i'll check in with them again uh, and then she was healed of other pain that night when she prayed through forgiveness prayer and it was from the omc because i had led them through forgiveness prayer we're seeing healings uh, we prayed over a guy in california who had prolonged qt which is where your heart beats all clump up on top of each other instead of being spaced naturally your heart has this 
this improper rhythm, and it can cause cardiac arrest. People die from it. He, uh, we prayed over him last September. He was totally healed. He went to his checkup right after that. His heart is completely normal. Miraculously, he had another checkup while we were in California, again, just last week or a week and a half ago, and his heart is still completely healthy. And so, you know, we're just praising the Lord. We're seeing miracles. We're seeing the power of God move. And so Jesus, people are drawn to where Jesus is. And where is he? Where he's made to feel welcome. We want to build our culture around him and not around ourselves and how people receive it. Okay? But you're welcome to come and, um, you know, make, go to the OMC, shadowonthewater.com, and you'll find the link to the OMC. The direct page is just omc.shadowonthewater.com. Okay? OMC. It stands for Online Mentoring Community. This is what you get there. You pay $20 a month. It supports the ministry. You are now part of this online community. Every Friday, we do about a three-hour-long Zoom Holy Spirit prayer. We just gather around the presence of God. And we've had so many people send me the most beautiful messages of breakthrough. You also, you'll you'll be a part of the culture of the Holy Spirit. So you'll see God moving in other people. You'll see God healing and moving you. Um, it's a time to just, we just waste time with the Lord and we just gather around his presence. Then you also have access to the teaching videos. We have uh, three series right now. One is on hearing the voice of God. One is on uh, identity and the other and which is the most important one i mean you got it but but they're all important the third one is on prophecy and we're going to do one on healing physical healing as well but so just join and then you'll be they're not like to replace you have this thing like encounter ministries if you've heard of Enco- encounter ministries they have a supernatural school they have a school of, of uh, ministry school of ministry that's a two-year school i did that school and it was phenomenal this is not to replace that or be in competition with it. This is just to enhance it or to give you a, an access point. And if you want to do the two-year school, go do the two-year school. Um, it's awesome. Uh, or do both. We have people in both. This is not, it's different. It's different. But it's to give you a culture of the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, it's cheap. 20 bucks a month. Supports the ministry, and you're just a part of this movement of the Spirit. Start seeing the power of God move. So I just bless you with this. Um, Saint Blessed Francis Sa- Xavier Silos, mm-hmm. pray for us. Saint Francis Xavier, mm-hmm. I have their first class relics right here. Pray for us. We are missionaries. We travel a lot. You'll see me. I, I'll be broadcasting OMC from, um, gosh, we did three continents last year, uh, from uh, all kinds of different places around the, uh, the U.S. And um, it's it's beautiful. Like we do it wherever we go. It's every Friday, and uh, um, we are missionaries. We are sent out to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate it through the accompanying. The Holy Spirit confirms the message with the accompanying signs. So the power of God moves. Anyhow, it's been an hour and a half. Love spending this time with you. Check your body, your pain right now. You may have been healed just by listening to this. I want you to try to do something you normally don't do. A lot of people are sovereignly healed just by listening to the prayer or the podcast. So, but you got to test it out. Go put some pressure on your bad ankle. Go try and bend to the right or bend to the left. I'm seeing bending to the right. If you have pain in your back, 
I think there's a healing happening right there. Um, there's a, maybe a shin pain that's being healed right now. I'm just seeing these things in the spirit or feeling them in my body. So go ahead and, and uh, check out your pain and just test it out. And if you were healed, write me. Get on to shadowonthewater.com and write me. Power of God is moving and there is no lack in the kingdom. And you, everything that he has is ours. God has dealt mercifully with me and I have everything. We'll see you next time.